Welcome to College Q&A. I'm Justin Myrick, and recently my son Drake said I need new intro music. So let's do this. Hey, Dad, how about some college questions? Let's hear them. Let's hear them. All right, well, we are rolling with our newest episode of Career Spotlight. This is Career Spotlight number three. And in these spotlights, we our hope and aim is to meet with a professional who's in a field and just explore kind of what they're doing, how they got into that field, um, how God is using them, how just their perspective on things. And uh, hopefully and prayerfully, this is something that you guys can um, can listen to and kind of get some insight on. And hopefully it'll be some direction for we know college students is it's a figuring out kind of season of life. And so our hope and prayer is that through these you'll gain some insight and hear some things that kind of perk your interest and go, hey, that's something I'm kind of bent like that. I, I would love to, to pursue that. So uh, so with that being said, we want to get things rolling. And today's guest, we are privileged with our very first doctor in the house. Uh, we have Dr. Emily Frazier joining us today, and she is a graduate of Arkansas Tech University. Went on to get her master's and a doctor. We'll let her tell you about that. But please help me welcome Dr. Emily Frazier. Emily, thanks for joining us. Thanks for having me. I'm excited to be here. Yes, well, I'm so happy you're here, and I just appreciate you doing it. I'm so grateful for you and Clayton, and just I'm just excited to hear um, about your story in, in the last few years, even. And so, you have a degree in geography or doctorate in geography with an emphasis on displacement, displacement, and refugee resettlement. And I'm just curious, like, how did you get into that field of geography, and then what led you towards those specific areas? Yeah, so when I look back, you know, I can see a lot of different threads through my life that kind of have led up to where, where I'm at now. Um, for me, I would really go back and say that um, probably at an early age, I had an interest in people from other cultures um, and languages and other things. My parents had some good friends from Venezuela that we spent a lot of time with and spent time in their home studying Spanish at an early age. And So um, I had the opportunity to meet people that you don't really get to meet that often here in, you know, Russellville, Arkansas. Mm -hmm. Um, and I think carrying that with me, you know, was something I was always interested in meeting people from other places and learning about that. Um, so, you know, fast forward to high school and, um, you know, I worked, I worked really hard in high school and, uh, wasn't really sure what I wanted to do. And I had a lot of teachers and, you know, people speaking into my life saying, you know, you, you seem to really you know, be good at school or academics and you should go do, you know, something important. You should go to a big school or, you know, pursue something, mm-hmm. um, some pre-professional degree like law or biology or something. And, um, and I, you know, had a lot of, um, just un- uncertainty and I didn't have any peace about, um, you know, where I was supposed to go and what I was supposed to do. You know, some people have that, um, you know, from mm-hmm. a young age, you know, one of my best friends in second grade, she was like, I'm going to be a doctor. And, you know, today that's what she's doing. You know, and mm-hmm. I, I just never had that same same vision. So, um, I, I ended up at tech, which, um, looking back was the, the best thing for me and the Lord really led me there. And, uh, but ultimately, even once I got there, I didn't know what degree to declare, mm. um, which, you know, when you think about someone 18 years old, 17 years old, trying to figure out like, what am I <laughs> supposed sure. to do for the rest of my life? You yes. know, it's kind of, uh, just crazy to think about how we put that pressure on people. But I, uh, in that moment, took a career aptitude test that the school had this like answer questions about yourself and it spit out a bunch of different degrees and I saw one called international studies and cultural affairs and I clicked Mm. on it and thought what is this and started looking at the courses and that sounded like 
stuff I loved, um, but not stuff I'd been pushed to do, you know, not mm-hmm. nothing like engineering or biology or things. And I ended up having a, a pre-meeting with um, one of the professors at Tech, Jeff Woods. He was my oh, advisor. Oh, yeah, okay. Yeah. Did and not uh, realize that. Yeah. That's awesome. He probably doesn't realize this, but... We, the first conversation we had, I hadn't declared a major yet. You know, I think they were required to, you know, meet with freshmen. And, and I, w- I shared some of that anxiety with him. of like, I feel like I need to do something, you know, with my life. I don't know what I want to do. And I mm. like this degree. But, you know, how does international studies, how does that turn into a job? Like, what am I going to do with that? And he just looked at me basically and was like, he gave me a lot of freedom. He was like, you don't have to know that right now. You don't have to know all the answers, mm. you know, like. You, you are good at the things you're good at, and you get excited about the things you get excited about for a reason, and you don't have to know what that is right now, but you need to pay attention to what makes you come alive and pursue that and take opportunities, and, like, life will work. Like, you know, he was kind of like, life that is a way is of so working awesome. itself out. You I know? love this story. And, yeah, and I, I remember that feeling like, I, and I've told him this, but um, leaving his office, like, so much freedom. I had never had, like, an adult you know, an adult, mm. <laughs> look at me and be like, you don't have to know, you know mm. what I mean? You can pursue this. And anyways, he was a really encouraging advisor. Um, so I give all that backstory <laughs> to say, you know, when I think about, when I was thinking about preparing for this episode and kind of conversation about career, um, it was not like a straight line to even to mm. my, my bachelor's degree, let alone to what I'm doing now. And that conversation with him really was kind of like a paradigm shift for me. It gave me a lot of freedom to be comfortable with the uncertainty and being comfortable with the uncomfortable feeling of just trying to, you know, pursue opportunities and like let the Lord lead and not have to have that end goal in mind from day one. Well, and I love that. And I think that's something healthy for our listeners to hear from myself to be reminded of. And it's so good, especially at college season, but even those years beyond, like there is a pressure to feel like you have to know and have to have it figured out today. Mm -hmm. Like you, you know, what's the plan? And I, that is an incredible story and of the freedom and the wisdom of just passing like, hey, it's okay. Like, mm-hmm. you, you'll figure that out later. Mm-hmm. And, and pay attention to your giftings and your, what makes you come alive. Like, that is such good advice. And I'm so grateful you shared that. that I love that. Um, that's powerful. So uh, I love Dr. Woods. I, that, <laughs> I didn't even know that. That's a cool connection. So I get to hang yeah. out with him often now. So uh, now I learned from him in jiu-jitsu world. So. <laughs> well, um, well, tell me this because you – fairly recently, successfully defended your dissertation. So tell us, like, what was that experience like? Uh, I've never, you know, I think it's fun. I've never really asked someone that question, like, I always hear so-and-so do this. But what was that like for you? What was rewarding? What was challenging about that? Um, just that experience. Well, defending defending the dissertation itself is this big, you know, scary thing. You work, you take all these classes, you work on the research for, you know, three or four, or some, in some people's cases, five years. And the defense is this one meeting where you face off with this committee of professors who are going to evaluate your work basically and say, yes, it's good enough. And we're going to let you be a doctor or like, no, you know, take it back and fix it. So, um, it was, it was a big day. Um, how did, how it felt to be successful? I mean, incredible. It was like, how, when do you find out? Do you, is it in that meeting when they say, okay, we, you pass. I mean, yeah, how does so, that, like, what do they tell you to say, hey, you're good now? How, what does that look like? Yeah, it's, um, so my committee had four members on it, and there's the first portion, you kind of give, like, a general presentation of this is what I did, and they actually opened that up to the public, so I had a lot of colleagues come, friends, oh, and Clayton cool. was there, some of our friends from uh, church and other, you know, in Knoxville came, and that was really kind. So we do that for about 15 minutes, and then and then they all leave, and the committee sits down and, you know, asks you questions for, like, an hour, two hours. They're just trying to poke holes, and not maliciously, or at least not in my case. I mean, I had a really supportive committee, but... 
And so they talk for a long time, and then they're like, okay, take a sandwich, go sit in the hall, we'll come get you when we're done. Okay. And they put you on the hall and shut the door. And usually they deliberate um, for a while, so I don't really know how long it would take. And um, I was about halfway through my sandwich, and they came back out, and I'm holding the plate. And, um, and my advisor opened the door, and she said, well, we'd, we'd like to welcome you back in, Dr. Frazier, which is come the most hard way of saying, awesome. um, yeah. you know, that, that we passed. And, and they all, you know, you know, they clapped for me. And so anyways, it was kind of a, that after you spend awesome. that time learning from a professor and these people, mm. your advisors, your mentors, um, it was really it was kind of special to have them, uh, you know, called me yes. down there as well. So what cool. do you think was one of the biggest lessons from all your, and how, how long did you research? You had mentioned how much time, how much did you, how many years did you spend in yours? I spent three years okay. in my program. Okay. Um, well, yeah, three three academic years plus one semester. My okay. graduation was technically a semester. Later. Okay. Yeah. So from that, what do you what was maybe a lesson you feel like you'll carry with you just for the rest of your life, whether it be a principal or just something that you felt like uh, you learned during that time and from that research? Wow. Yeah, from my research. So my research is about uh, resettled refugees um, in the United States specifically. I do I do qualitative research, which means basically I I talk to people. Um, I'm more interested in people's experiences and their interpretations of what happens uh, than I am in, in numbers, you know, per se. So I focus mm. more on that. Um, and I got the chance to meet a lot of um, a lot of people in my research. And uh, you know, one thing I think that I'll carry with me forever is just the the reality of like that there is such you know there is such tragedy in the world. Um, but even through that, uh, people. Um, you know, still have dignity and they pursue mm. uh, safety, they pursue uh, beauty, they pursue mm. their, you know, their families, they have so much, they give so much sacrifice, um, make such sacrifices to, to ensure a better life for their families. And so there was just that element of like the human story and, mm. and also, you know, the other element of realizing that, you know, the image of God is found um, in people, uh, you know, from all, from all races and all ethnicities and, um, we, you know, we honor that wherever we see it, whether it be an unborn child or a refugee from mm-hmm. Syria. And it was really a, a beautiful thing. Part of my research focused on um, people who were helping receive refugees, welcome refugees. So Americans cool. who were, yeah, taking time out of their lives to help these people who'd arrived in the U.S. make a home. And, mm-hmm. um, and the ways that they really honored the image of God and the people they were mm-hmm. working with um, was really challenging and beautiful. So I think... Yeah, those sto- people's stories and getting to experience that was really uh, was really ch- challenging. How did you find people who like who are doing that, who are welcome, and what kind of how do you make those connections? And did you have to travel? Like, how what did that look like? Yeah, so finding finding the the right case to do the study on was a little bit of a challenge. Actually, I had a friend from Tech um, who had gotten a job teaching ESL at a refugee resettlement agency um, in Kentucky, and so. Um, I was looking at a lot of different places at once trying to make something stick and mm. I ended up calling her and she made a phone call and uh, this these people open, welcomed me with open arms. So it was really cool how that worked out, a tech, a tech connection and That's friend awesome. that made that happen. Yeah, Very cool. So then you had an opportunity to open up at Arkansas Tech recently. Tell mm-hmm. us about that and what you've been doing. Yeah, so I, I defended my dissertation in August of last year. Uh, so I was pretty much finished. I had some edits left to do. And at that point, um, my husband and I decided to move back to Arkansas because um, of some family things going on with his family that we needed to be here to help with. Um, and so, you know, traditionally in uh, the world of PhDs, when you defend and graduate, you immediately go on the job market. You start mm-hmm. applying for jobs. And it's kind of a rigorous process. 
But for us, that wasn't really the timeline. Mm-hmm. Um, so, uh, you know, kind of let that idea go and just was ready to be flexible and see what would happen. So we came back to Arkansas and I basically, uh, you know, I was like, well, I need a job. I need to do something. And um, I really want to teach if I can. So I started, mm-hmm. I emailed every every geography program in the state of Arkansas. Nice. And asked, hey, do you, do you need any help? Um, and emailed Dr. Woods and, you know, some of my connections yes. at Tech. And um, we're, we're, they were just really gracious to open up a spot for me and give oh. me that uh, opportunity to teach there this last semester. It's Very been a cool. blast. That's awesome. Mm-hmm. Now, uh, so what have you loved most about being a professor and just teaching college students? What have you loved? Yeah, the the best part of it all is uh, just the fact that I, I feel like I still am getting to be a part of the learning. You know, even mm-hmm. when I go to teach something, I prep. And when I'm prepping, I'm still learning, like, new things about Asia or whatever it is that I'm learning about, you know, even though I maybe have taught it several times. Um, and learning from students as well and just getting to be a part of watching watching students' worlds and worldviews and watching them expand, you know, mm-hmm. like when they learn about things they've never heard about or get passionate or excited about issues they've never considered. It's just really – I tell – um, I teach a regional geography class. It's kind of an intro class, and it's usually the first time students have ever taken geography. And I, mm. one of the first things I tell them is, like, in this class, I don't want you to come out knowing states and capitals. That's not what geography is about. I want to, like, increase your wonder about this world we live in because it's a crazy, beautiful place. Mm. And so getting getting to watch them wonder <clears throat> is really my favorite part. I, think. I love that because I, when I hear geography – like, I was the kid in, I don't know if I was, like, fourth grade or fifth grade, but I actually loved a world map. And mm. so I remember they had made a challenge for extra credit, if you, like, could memorize every country oh, wow. and every capital, whatever. And so I think I did that. Like, I remember as a kid, like, I just loved memorizing. I was like, man, mm. I'd get the blank map and I'd just go to town. And then I even got to the point where I wanted to, like, draw it out and draw. It was crazy. That's what I think, but I love, and that's at its basis, okay, but your perspective is so uh, incredible and so wise to challenge students with that, because that is, I mean, and it's often to miss, miss that. I remember in college, I remember a few words from my communications degree that really have stuck with me, and that word ethnocentric mm. really stuck with me, and I remember, and that was me growing up. I mean, I only focused on uh, from what I remember, I can't give you like the Webster definition, but essentially as someone who you, you could probably tell me better than I can. Right. But I just remember it being like only focused on where you are. Mm-hmm. Like you don't really consider anyone else, any other culture, any other world. It's just like all you focus on is your little space. And I remember college was a st- strategic time for me mm-hmm. where God kind of expanded that. And, and you're right. Like showed me like, OK, like here's these beautiful cultures and peoples and places to explore. Mm-hmm. And you're right. And when you stop and think about it, it's absolutely just, there's just an awe in that. And and so I love that. That's awesome. What do you would say is your biggest challenge so far? I know it's early in the journey, but did you feel like there's a challenge in that? And what has what has been that? Yeah, well, <laughs> the on the being a professor in general, you know, that's the interesting thing about teaching in higher ed is it's not just teaching. There's also like a scholar scholarly component where you're doing research of your own alongside the teaching. And so... I think a, a challenge in general about academia is that it can be very competitive um, and very uh, consuming for people. Mm. So there's a challenge that, um, you know, not to like give in to that grind culture of that idea. I always have to be getting that next writing mm. project, that next research project, getting that grant, getting that, you know. Okay. Um, and, you know, in this, where I went to school, uh, you know, there was a very competitive environment. And so I think that's something that in academia in general, it's hard to get away from. But okay. the teaching side of things... Um, like I said, the teaching is great, but it's also hard sometimes when you have students that are coming in with, with problems that I can't I can't fix, you know, mm. as a geography teacher. So um, there's something 
something to be said, I think, about um, wanting to reach out and help students where they're at, but also just recognizing that there's so much brokenness in the world and students bring that. And you may not, you may not even think about, you know, how would that come to play in a geography class, but just even example like with this pandemic and students going online, you know, have students emailing me, you know, as we're trying to work through our online, you know, material in yes. this weird time. And, you know, they don't, they don't have a computer or they have, you know, their, their parents are, you know, sharing a computer to do their work from home or they don't have internet access or, mm. you know, they have family members dying or they're just from differently, differently privileged backgrounds that, um, you know, you don't, you don't really think about in, in everyday life, but really come to the fore in the classroom. And, um, so encountering that and trying to learn how to, um, how to, how to compassionately and ethically respond to students in a way that, um, you know, is mentoring and, um, you know, healthy, uh, mm. even beyond just teaching geography. You know, I felt like I was prepared to teach geography content, and mm. I realized, like, being an educator is a lot more than just mm. teaching content. It makes me think of, and you feel like in your life, have you had, well, you mentioned Dr. Woods. What a great example mm-hmm. in that one conversation of how much life he brought to you. You know, you, you had a lot of weight on your shoulder. I kind of think it's mm-hmm. like he just gave you free Like, Listen, have are there other professors in your life, you know, that have really – you know, I guess what I'm saying is what, what makes someone a good professor? Because I hear you talking mm. about that and I'm going, okay, there are people throughout my life that professors that I remember, mm-hmm. you know, and and whether they know it or not. And I feel like it wasn't even necessarily intentional. There was just certain ways that God used them and their life and their excitement for what they were doing and their passion to teach others, like you mm-hmm. referenced, that was inspiring to me. Or help me in life because maybe I was dealing with something mm-hmm. that I they didn't they had no clue about but just by coming and seeing them it just was good for me. Mm-hmm. Like, do you feel like um, have there been those professors in your life and is that something that because I hear you say I feel like that's a very real thing to your point of people are coming in with so many problems so many things outside of their their school. Mm-hmm. And yet it's such a cool venue that you have where they can, in a lot of ways, remove those things and just focus on learning. Uh, I guess I asked a lot of questions there, so I apologize. (laughs) Uh, You know, um, I guess in your mind, like, what does make a good professor? We'll stop there. Oh, man, what makes a good professor? And you can reflect on those that have meant a lot to you and to help frame that. Yeah, I think even, um, you know, I had a couple teachers in high school that were really, like, standout, you know, really excellent educators, instructors as well. Um, oh, man, you know, well, it, drawing on some of those people I really admire, you know, I had um, in high school a geography teacher, uh, Paul Gray, an environmental science teacher, uh, Chuck Campbell there at Russell, they were both at Russellville High School, and mm. um, and in, in, in uh, college, lots of different professors, Diane Gleason mm. at Tech was, and I, when I think about these people, I think about people that knew what they were talking about, um, they were really passionate about what they talked about, but they also uh, could help it connect to like real life. You know, mm. when I'm in a, a class that I may not be that interested in up front, I'm kind of like, I'm just here for the credit, man. Mm. And they were able to take, you know, this abstract historical concept and make it relevant to, to my life and my future. I feel like that was a really um, attractive and, you know, helpful quality. Mm. Um, and also teachers and professors that, you know, encouraged me to be more than I than I thought I could be, you know, not just having high expectations in the sense of being, you know, unreasonable or something, but mm. calling, I would almost phrase it in educators who can call out greatness in people who can see something that they say, I know you have this capacity in you mm. and you're good at this and can call it out 
and mentor mm. people in developing that. Mm. Uh, kind of a form of coaching, coaching yes. people up. So I, I would say those are things that were really beneficial to me in my experience, and hopefully I you know, can learn to emulate some of that one day. Yeah, absolutely. No, that's that's incredible. Uh, were there any surprises to you, like things you did, like, didn't see coming, like, wait, I didn't know that was part of the job in the beginning? <laughs> um, well, yeah, I mean, I think there's always always things like that, you know, teaching. Um, it, well, again, the whole, the whole pandemic thing has been kind of a rough way to start off yeah, a teaching true, career. True. So, and I think that kind of had the whole world going, wait, we didn't see this coming, but... Um, yeah, just in general, just the, the the amount of freedom that's actually involved in in teaching in higher ed. Um, this is another another Jeff Woods quote. He said, "They don't they don't pay us in money, but they pay us in freedom." <laughs> yeah. Which you know is something to be said. You know, teachers in general, you know, uh, mm. probably don't get paid as much as they should. But um, you know, being a professor does have quite a bit of freedom you know, intellectually and uh, to build relationships mm. and kind of set your own schedule to an yeah. extent. And that, that sure. was surprising because in grad grad school is a grind, man. It's not, it's not. So you've enjoyed kind of stepping yeah. out. That's been rewarding. Like, yeah, that's good. Yeah, it's been surprisingly, yeah, really free and enjoyable. I love it. That's awesome. Well, I appreciate you sharing that. And, you know, I think about, you know, you've had a interesting journey. You graduated and then you got your master's at tech, right? Or did you not? Where did you get your master's? So I actually don't, I don't have a master's degree. How did, okay. All right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, I went into um, the master's uh, teaching English to speakers of other languages. Okay. Tech, and I did that for about a year and through that process, really loved it. It's an excellent program, but I started coming to the conclusion um, around that same time, you know, one of the best gifts the Lord gave me in college was uh, friendships with Saudi women. Um, mm. At tech, there was this really, <laughs> I look back at it now and I'm like, that was so odd. Um, but uh, this watershed moment where there were like more than 300, I think, isn't that right, mm, students yes. at, at Tech and um, all of these Saudi women that I had the opportunity to be friends with. And so, um, you know, through the, ex- the experience of getting to know people who were immigrants and, you know, just through their experiences, starting to reflect on the challenges of immigration, what that looks like, making a home in a new place and adjusting and the courage that's involved. Mm. Um, that initially is what drew me to uh, the TESOL program. Mm. Um, but again, even as I studied that, I started to think, you know, teaching English is, is one thing, but I really want to know more about these people who are the ones having to learn the yes. English, right? Like who, yes. are, who are these immigrants and how can we support them? And what are ways that, um, you know, America in general, but you know, the body of Christ can be involved in welcoming mm. immigrants. And so that kind of is what catalyzed me to look towards nice. a research degree. Um, so I, I went straight into the PhD at the gotcha. University That's of Tennessee. That's awesome. Okay. Yeah. Well, tell me this thing, because I feel like for anyone listening who may not have the privilege to sit under your teaching, you know, I would love for you to ask you the question, like, how can we be good welcomers here mm. in our context? What are things that you would give practically to a college student or anyone um, regardless of where they're located, to, to be a good, because we do live in such a unique time. You know, we, we joke about Little Russellville having, you know, hundreds of internationals, and it's true, mm-hmm. and tech helps with that. But mm-hmm. every major city in the U.S., and then a lot of other outskirt cities, are flooded with internationals, uh, people from all over the globe. It is a global world we live in now. Mm-hmm. And, it's so, and so uh, if we pay attention, certainly there are, um, people, those people as you referenced earlier about this beautiful world, they, they are amongst us mm-hmm. like here. And so what's something that people could do practically? What are maybe just a few things you'd say, hey, I would encourage them to think through this or do this? Mm. Well, yeah, first just reiterating, you know, what, what you've been said is 
to to think through doing it. Yeah, you know, like not just not just recognizing that there's a lot of internationals, but you know, making making friends with mm. international students and um, you know something. I think that looks like a couple of things. Uh, first, re- coming from the position of I not that I have what they need to know about America, but recognizing that um, there are things I can learn from them and things that they can learn from me and um, just kind of that two-way street in general. Mm. Um, I, I re- think about my experience in, in college and um, actually I think there's there's a boldness involved in it too because there's an intentionality that kind of comes along with um, making friends, especially with international students. Mm. Uh, I... You know, I always felt like it might be a little awkward to just like walk up to an international student like in bad saying, like, oh, hey, like, you're, you're clearly not from here. <laughs> like, how, how could I be your friend? Yeah, you know, yeah. and I always thought, oh, that would make them uncomfortable, me uncomfortable. So I was always waiting for this like perfect moment, you know, for like God to come down and be like, oh, this is. Yeah. And I remember specifically, this is this is how we met our first uh, Saudi friend. That was with Katie Farron. We mm. were at uh, Starbucks in January right after Christmas. And uh, we're standing there getting coffee, and all of a sudden I hear this weird language, and I'm like, "What is this? The Arabic I'm hearing?" And I turn around, and there's like nine or ten Saudi women in hijab at this table over here, and we're both like, "Whoa!" You know, like, and we both wanted to go talk to them, and I was like, "No, no, we can't." And Katie Farron, of course, is like, "Why not?" And just walked up to the table. I was like, "Hi, I'm Katie," and I just was like, "Over there, I'm like, oh my gosh, you know, like you can't just walk up to a table of people." And she did. Um, she's more outgoing than I am, but just that that even that one act mm-hmm. of boldness won so much favor with our, with our friends and later they would even tell us that they were like you know we always felt like we couldn't just walk up to an American mm. and say hi you know so, so how that. did they receive Katie doing that how was that received it was funny um you know I think there was general maybe shock at the table first was like wait what's happening but um yeah one of our friends uh, Hadil turned around and said well hi to you too and invited us to sit down and I mean we had dinner at her house later that week and it just went from there so um there's a lot of uh, you know, reciprocity. I think a lot of times mm. we assume, or maybe this is me. I have, it's hard for me sometimes to be outgoing. So I assume that people are going to respond badly if I reach out. And I think, mm. especially with international students, they are, they are wanting so desperately to have friends and to be welcomed into American mm. culture. I mean, that's why they came to study yes. in America is to learn English and learn about our culture, you know? Yes. Yeah. And we, you know, it's funny when I had the privilege to go teach English over in North Africa, it was the first day on the grounds. And, you know, the purpose of that day, you know, was just to kind of get exposed to the culture. And within the first day, I believe, uh, I went over to a friend of mine. We were both teaching at an English school over there. And I'm pretty sure it was at least three times we got invited into a home on the first mm-hmm. day. And as someone who is new to that country, I love that. And I think, I mean, you tell me if this is wrong, but I feel like sometimes we disconnect you know, the old saying, like, put yourself in someone else's shoes. Mm-hmm. When they're here, like, and I heard this style a while back, you know, I think it was when I was in college, that the majority of internationals never mm-hmm. end up in an American home, right? Mm-hmm. I thought that was so sad. Like, why is that? Because we don't, we don't, like, it's the opposite here. So, like, whereas I go over there and first day I'm invited into three different homes here, mm-hmm. it's like the opposite. Like, we don't do that. So, I appreciate you saying just to find a way and, and be bold and ask, mm-hmm. because I think it's well-received. Like, yeah, maybe you're like, wait, what's going on? They didn't <laughs> expect it, but then they're going to probably love that. Mm-hmm. Like my experience has been here in the States and even in, you know, we did some trips to Toronto, Canada, uh, you know, the internationals um, love to connect and, and get to know. Mm-hmm. And I've enjoyed hearing uh, just people who have connected with internationals. It's mm-hmm. been really fun to see like what the international students like to do. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so like, 
there's uh, one guy uh, that he he just tries to invite them to do stuff he would do, mm-hmm. like mow the grass. He mm-hmm. goes, honestly, he said, this is so weird. He <laughs> said, but he said, they want. he said, people start giving me a hard time. Like, wait, what's going on? You got them mowing your grass? Mm-hmm. He's like, no, no, no. He's like, they, uh, they want to do this. Right. Like, he's like, uh, they want, they want to learn how to drive. Mm-hmm. He said, that's the number one thing for at least a college age international student. Like, they want to learn to drive. A lot of them mm-hmm. haven't figured that. So that's like super fun for them. Like, that's fun for me to think through some of those, like, okay, so I don't have to, I can just invite them to do what I do, mm-hmm. whether it be cut wood or, you know, drive a car. And so um, I appreciate the challenge because I think that's important for us to, to think about and mm-hmm. how we can do our part, mm-hmm. uh, regardless of what where we are and what we're doing. So, well, uh, let me ask you this, just uh, if someone is listening and they are interested in becoming a professor, they're like, hey, this might be something I'd like to do. What encouragement would you give them? Well, I have, yeah, a couple things I would say. Um, a couple questions, I guess. Uh, first would be to reiterate a question that one of my mentors asked me when I first told her that I was thinking about going to grad school and want to be a professor. She said, why? Mm. <laughs> and she asked me a series of hard questions, which I wasn't really expecting because I was expect- she's a professor, and I was thinking she was going to be like, oh, cool, yeah, I'd love to tell you about And she kind of pushed back on it, and um, at the time I was kind of like, what is this? And now I... I see what she was doing and respect it. She, mm. she asked me, what is the desire? Is it, is it that you want to teach? Um, is it that you see that I love what I do and you want to love what you do as much as I love what I do? Mm. Um, is it that you want to do research? You know, so I would encourage someone to, to think through some of those things. Um, the desire to teach is, um, you know, teaching is so rewarding, but there's lots of ways to do that. You know, there's mm. um, middle and secondary uh, level education, you know, um, a, a higher education is a little different because there is that research component and that mm. grad school component, and those do come with some heavy costs. Mm. Um, so I wouldn't say, uh, not to discourage, but no, just yeah. to speak real real candidly that it should not be something taken lightly, and especially if you want to pursue a PhD, it should be because, you know, you, you can't imagine yourself doing anything else, you know? Yeah. Um, no, that's awesome. It's a lot I of love time, it. a lot of money. You know, what's, <laughs> you know what's so funny is that, so it was the same conversation. I was not a part of it, mm-hmm. but one of my professors in college, I will always remember him telling the story. He said he had a student come to his office and it was the exact same scenario. So this mm-hmm. is worth paying attention to. I'm like, okay. <laughs> and they said, they said, I know what I want to do in my life. And he was mm-hmm. like, great. Okay. What is it? And that student said, I want to be a college professor. Mm-hmm. And he said, no, you don't. <laughs> And they were like, what? They were like, wait a second. Like, I, how can you tell me what I, he's like, no, no, no. What you want, and there's context to that. He, had, he, right, had, right. he didn't just shoot somebody down, but he kind of knew. He had been around this dude. He had listened, paid attention. Mm-hmm. So he was at a place to, where he could speak this. He said, no, no, no. What you want is to be just as passionate about your job as I am mine. Mm-hmm. Is exactly what you just shared. And I think that's incredibly wise because sometimes we see people thriving and they're mm-hmm. loving what they do. And we make the bad, immature observation of oh that's what I need to do because Mm -hmm. that person's thriving Mm -hmm. it's like well actually no 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 your wisdom is you're saying well spend some time figuring it out Mm -hmm. like spend some time really thinking through that and and really ask some hard questions and have people in your life that are willing to ask you hard questions Mm -hmm. before you make that leap because I've seen that you know Mm -hmm. we we do that as people it's like we compare and go okay that's they're happy let me go do that when Mm -hmm. they've never thought through and asked some of those questions so I appreciate you sharing that and that's that's just amazing to me that that those two stories are identical well and she she told me too she said you know especially if you're going to do a phd like you need to be more interested in what you're going to research than you are interested in eating mm, and i laughed at the funny. time but 
after going through the experience, I mean, there's an, an element that you got to have a deep abiding curiosity and also, you know, the idea that something about someday what you're doing might make a difference for somebody mm. else. You know, for me being able to draw on that in my research, even recognizing that it was so small and narrow, mm. hopefully hoping that one day it could help someone see more about how to help refugees or help, you know, because there are some dark, some dark times. Yes. And if, if it's not something you're committed to, um, then it could be easy to kind of lose That's motivation. Powerful. That's very good. Okay, awesome. Well, how about big picture? You know, you um, graduated Arkansas Tech, what year? 2015. 2015. Mm -hmm. So you're five years removed, um, but it wasn't that long. You know, time flies quickly. You know, what advice would you give, just big picture, for any college student? And what's something you would say, hey, you know, consider this during your college years, regardless of how much time they have left. What is something you would love to pass on or, or challenge a student to think about? with their time in college? Mm. I think something um, that I thankfully did in, in some ways, didn't realize that's what I was doing now and I look back and I'm glad, was um, to take take different opportunities. Um, if, if there's an opportunity that comes up for, for a, a workshop or an internship or helping with something or volunteering with something, or even if it doesn't sound like something right off the bat that you might want to do or maybe you'd rather go you know, hang out with your friends or something, mm. I mean, do enjoy that free time with friends and stuff. Yes. But um, I think there's something to be said, too, for, you know, I've looked back at the jobs and things I've done and, and learned a lot of things from, from opportunities that initially may not have seemed a lot like what I wanted to do mm-hmm. at the time, but um, just being being flexible mm-hmm. and being willing to learn things from people from all different um, experiences, uh, I think was really helpful just from a career career standpoint, you know, this yeah. being kind of a career conversation. Um but yeah, and that other part of it, the other side of that being, and at the same time, enjoy college because it doesn't last forever. Mm. And college is not the same thing as uh, being adult, adulting, right? Like, yes. you know, in, you are an adult as a college student, but um, that transition is a big mm. one too. So that those years in college and undergrad were really sweet. Mm. So just enjoy them. How have you, you know, we talked about that transition from college to young adult and I feel like that's probably one question I always like to ask in career spotlight because you you've made that transition you know um is there any advice you'd give in that you know to our seniors we've got some seniors who just recently graduated and you know what advice do you give in that sense mm-hmm. of graduate and now adulting real world like what what do you do what what advice can you give mm-hmm. I, I would think that one important thing is for students to well, not students, ex-students, <laughs> people who are graduating, to continue pursuing community. I think in mm-hmm. college, um, especially students who are here at FBC and involved in what I, I know we have here, um, it, sometimes I think we can take for granted that you kind of fall into community with people mm-hmm. who have similar values and interests. And, and in college, you have so much free time to build relationships. You can build a deep relationship pretty fast because you have a lot of time to mm-hmm. spend with people. Um, and so that's something, you know, that's not that's not how it is built when you're trying to build relationships as mm. um, a young professional or a young married person. You know, people are working and you know don't have a lot of time. So I think just being aware of that and in that transition, making intentional steps to get plugged in with a church or a small group, um, have people over for dinner, go mm. introduce yourselves to people, and um, have patience with those relationships because um, it, they're worth it. And otherwise. You can come out on the other side of college going like, wow, I don't, you know, you still have those friendships. But if yes. you, like me, go different directions from all your friends and you mm-hmm. end up in a new city, you can go from being surrounded by friends all the time to like, whoa, I don't have yes. community at all. So, and community is not something that springs up organically. you got to build mm-hmm. it. I mean, I 
I'm so glad you said that because I think that's very good instruction for our graduates and to know, especially those, you know, we're blessed if they, if, if God opens up a door for them to be in Russellville, we've mm-hmm. got connection here with our young adults and Brad and Larry and others who are plugging in West and, you know, we've got some, but a lot of them do uh, have doors open up outside of Russellville and that's awesome. I mean, mm-hmm. God's ascending God and we're a small community. So mm-hmm. a lot of times doors do open up elsewhere. And so I think that's great advice that it's not going to happen naturally. Mm-hmm. They're going to have to take initiative and which is um, so encouraging. It's encouraging, weird as that is, it's encouraging to hear that for me because I'd want to know that. I don't, I want to know that going into the mm-hmm. new city, I'm going to have to put forth some effort. Mm-hmm. And, you know, we've told our students recently, like, hey, it takes a little time and it takes a little effort. But if you if you dedicate the time, you dedicate effort, like community mm-hmm. will happen, mm-hmm. but it won't happen instantly. And so I appreciate I think that's really wise to say to to trust the process of it and know that it'll take time but stick with it. So, mm-hmm. um, well, thank you so much for joining in today. Um, do you have anything else you want to share? No, I just I think I think, you know, listening, I listened to some of your other episodes with, with Mark Paul Freeman and kind of reflecting on some of our conversation here that we've had. I think for students, especially thinking about a career, it's important to remember that in a conversation like this, looking back, it looks like a straight line. It's mm. easy for me to connect the dots and say, I did this and I did this and I did mm. this and now I'm here. But while it's happening, it's a mess. Mm. <laughs> and I think, I think, you know, based on your conversation with Mark, he would agree, you know, there were a lot of blind corners and twists and turns and um, it always looks clearer in the rearview mirror, but to have patience with with the process and with the leading of the Lord and to be comfortable with that discomfort and that uncertainty. Mm. Um, and I, we're, I'm still learning that, but I just know, you know, sometimes how I feel when I'm listening to someone talk about their experience and it sounds really neat. And just to encourage um, students with like, your, my experience wasn't neat. It was messy and yours will be messy too. And that's okay. Yeah. And the rare exception to your friend earlier who just had it figured out from however old they were, like, mm-hmm. I'm going to be this. That's probably the exception. Right. Cause I agree. I think the, the large majority of us, are trying to figure it out. So I, that's a good word. And, you know, I think it's something we need to be reminded of, you know, just trust the process mm-hmm. one step at a time and it'll, it'll happen. I feel like that's a common theme that we're happening. And, and what I love about these career spotlights is it ends up being a lot of, uh, Hey, discerning God's will for your life. Mm-hmm. You know, <laughs> a lot of how do I trust the decisions I'm making now? These are all episodes we've done, mm-hmm. but it gives a kind of, you know, uh, a, uh, you know, a tire to the road, so to speak. Like it's helping us kind of frame, okay, this is, this is real life experience of what that looks like. Mm-hmm. And so I appreciate you coming today and just sharing your story and, and how God has led you. And we're uh, excited um, for your role and to continue to follow you and see how God uses you in the future. Mm-hmm. So thank you so much. And I want to encourage you guys, if you haven't subscribed today, we do have more episodes lined up and I want to encourage you to subscribe so you can know when those episodes come out. Thank you guys so much for listening today. Uh, Thank you to Dr. Frazier for being here. So grateful for her and uh, just grateful for you guys for listening. Uh, If you've got more questions um, and or maybe ideas for different careers you would be interested in, hey, let me know. We will find them. So uh, this has been fun. We've tackled three so far. And so we look forward to to tackling more later. So thank you guys so much for listening in. Uh, For now, until next time, I'm Justin Myrick encouraging you to stay connected to church, connected to each other, and most importantly, connected to the God we love and serve. God bless.